Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Stan Deo continues his quest for Eden, and we have an important update on our Faithful Friends Initiative. I'm so happy to share with you today that our 16-month prophecy calendars have arrived, and they look wonderful. This year's prophecy calendar is based on the Jewish Roots of Christianity book by Larry Stamm. This year, our calendar is a 16-month calendar and features all major biblical and Jewish and Israeli holidays, plus U.S. holidays. All dates are in both Jewish and Gregorian systems. Each date contains scripture references to help you read through the Bible in a year. Friends, you will be blessed by the gorgeous photos and artwork. Each month spotlights an event in Jewish history and prophecy. And I'm excited to announce that part of the proceeds from each calendar go to the Onesimus prison ministry. When you order a calendar, a calendar is also sent to a prisoner. Order the 16-month Jewish Roots of Christianity calendar today. 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. And remember, for every calendar you order, a calendar will be given to a prisoner free of charge. It's a great way to encourage others and share hope with those in prison. Order the brand new 16-month calendar today when you call toll-free 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. We have special pricing available on bulk orders with free shipping on all orders over $100. 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Another excellent resource for you to consider today is our Prophetic Observer newsletter. The Prophetic Observer is a publication of Southwest Radio Ministries that examines events which have prophetic significance. To the world, these situations might seem trivial or unimportant, but to the Christian, it shows God fulfilling His plan and purpose for mankind. In each issue of the Prophetic Observer, we examine topics or events that relate to the fulfillment of end-time prophecies. The Prophetic Observer has become one of our more popular features. Many of our listeners use these articles as a witnessing tool to friends and family or for church or home Bible studies. Sign up today and start receiving the Prophetic Observer monthly newsletter, 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. One more announcement. Thank you to everyone who contacted us during the premiere week of Jonathan Kahn's brand new book and DVD set, The Return of the Gods. Phone calls and emails from all over the country have been pouring in, wanting to get all the details on Jonathan Kahn's brand new study. The good news is we still have a few of his new books and eight DVD set available. Don't wait, though. Order The Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order The Return of the Gods online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. 
Stan Deo began explaining on yesterday's program where he believes the original Garden of Eden is located. Let's rejoin the conversation with James Collins and our guest, Stan Deo. Before the flood of Noah, the earth was much different than the earth we know today. For example, people live much longer than those alive today, typically between 700 and 950 years as reported in the genealogies of Genesis. Also, the Bible teaches that the atmosphere was different. Instead of rain, the planet was watered by mist, which rose from the earth. My guest today on the program is going to teach us how much the earth has changed in the last 6,000 years. Joining me is Stan Deo. Stan is an author, conference speaker, and explorer. He has held above top secret security clearance and worked undercover for the FBI. He was also part of an exclusive black project headed by Dr. Edward Teller, specializing in the development of flying saucer technology. And I want to have him back on the program sometime just to talk about that. Stan has been on numerous radio and television shows, and we're excited to have him here today to talk about his quest for Eden. Stan, welcome back to the program. Thank you, James. When we were talking yesterday, you were telling me that when people look for Eden, when they try to locate the four rivers mentioned in Genesis, today, based on the world's current geographic conditions, they failed to take in Pangaea and how the earth was different 6,000 years ago, correct? Correct. I like to think out of the box, James. Like, everyone else is looking at a garden that's, oh, I don't know, a few thousand feet by a few thousand feet, and they think Mm -hmm. small. So I said, let's go opposite what everybody else thinks. When it says east, let's think west, because the crust of the earth did tilt by 150 degrees from an asteroid impact around 2350 or 2345 B.C. So I thought, all right, let's turn everything upside down. Let's squeeze the earth back down to where it was before it expanded, because the earth has been expanding. Mm-hmm. It expanded in the time of Pele, when the Pangaea, or the landmass that formed all the continents, when that split apart in the time of Pele. So dating that on biblical time, not using the modern misconception of the age of the universe, I was able to say, okay, the Earth was about 6,000 to 6,500 miles in diameter. And I put the continents back together in the best maps I could find for the scientific putting coastlines together for what Pangaea looked like. Now, when you do that, then you say, okay, I'm not going to limit the garden to some little place that's got you know, a hedge around it or anything like that, because the Hebrew says, a gone is a surrounding thing, I think, to make an enclosure so you can't get in or out of it. It's lock it in. And I said, well, suppose it's bigger than some shepherd's uh, little paddock that he, he lined with uh, hedges and stuff and put Adam and Eve in. And suppose it's really a big thing. I turned all these things upside down, and eventually, you know, science did prove that we did have an expansion of the planet. There's a growing cadre of physicists saying that now. The Earth's mantle or crust does move. The Egyptian and the Chinese astronomical records do show that the sun used to rise in the east twice in history. In the time before the flood, it rose in the west instead of in the east as it does today. So anyway, putting all these factors together, then I had to look for the beginning of, say, the Euphrates. I found out that the Euphrates is actually a broken river at the time this was dictated to Moses on Mount Sinai in southern Jordan, where it is. I found that he told Moses that the river Euphrates is broken, it's in pieces. It used to be one solid river coming from the Garden of Eden, is what I gathered from that. And I know, James, that a lot of people say from Genesis 3.24, says, so God drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword were turned every way. But when you retranslate that using the old Hebrew, 
it says, so God drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden numerous tall, flaming, glittering desolations to protect the way to the tree of life. Not to keep you out, but protect the way to show where it is. And that is three volcanoes. I found a big one in the middle. It's Kilimanjaro. It has two smaller volcanoes as part of its plateau, uh, left and right. And that's to the east of the Garden of Eden on the modern time for Moses. It's not keeping you out. It's just marking the way. It's predicting, it's preserving the way. Even King Solomon knew where the Garden of Eden was. That's another story about how he got his gold from sending ships over to Madagascar, which used to be connected to Tanzania. I saw a lot of other arguments. The Chinese have an argument. The the Mormons have an argument. The Arabs have an argument about where the Garden of Eden is. But if you put the earth back to original conditions, it allows you to then open your mind to other possibilities rather than putting it in Israel, putting it where it was. I did track the river flow and the Great East African Rift back up to the source for four great rivers in Tanzania in the Ngorongoro Plateau. Now, I was asked to go over there by a couple of friends who, you know, they they took me over there. We had a safari. We had people carrying our luggage and bags and stuff, and we had to hike up into the, the high country there. We stayed overnight in a very nice hotel almost, but mm-hmm. it was like a bunch of rooms put together with a place to dine and things on the edge of the Garden of Eden on the crater. When we left there, we went up and we did find that the Garden of Eden was below where the water came from at, at the upper high part. And even the locals did not know where the water came from up there to feed that, which I explained last time was from water that was heated by volcanoes in the area and came up underneath from Lake Victoria to the side of it up through there and blasted out over and down 10,000 feet to form the Great East African Rift and the Blue Nile and the Suez Lake of the Red Sea, all that kind of stuff. Now, we went down into the crater one morning after we'd found where the water came from up the top. We, we uh, safari down there. We were early in the morning. We were the only people in our Jeep there in 100 square miles. And we could see across 10 miles, 10 miles. We could see across the entire Garden of Eden and we could see it covered in a beautiful yellow blanket of African daisies. And in the middle of it was a pair of elephants, male and female, wandering around having breakfast on these daisies. On the south part of it was the Lingai Forest, where there were fig trees. There were fig trees all around the place, up the river that comes down from the, from the north part, down into the crater, it's lined with fig trees. And we were looking at all this, and we looked off to our right as we were coming down inside the crater there, driving down a road, which, by the way, we nicknamed it Adam's Driveway because this road was beautiful. It was really red dirt, and you start going over the rim, and you find yourself winding down over the rim to go down in. But as you enter the rim, there are these acacia trees and, and other trees forming an arch over your road. You know, they just grow across over the top of the road. So like, a, that, like a canopy. You know, yeah, and it was like Adam's Driveway. When we got through Adam's Driveway and we start to descend, you know, the gateway of it, off to our right, there was an elephant that was having breakfast on a tree, and he was knocking the tree down with his head, butting it down so he could get to the branches and stuff to eat it. Fascinating thing. We stopped and filmed it all, but then we went on down into the garden itself, and the place was lush on the sides. I mean, all kinds of greener things. And we saw, like, a raised area off in the distance in Gatati Hill I was telling you about. It's like a flat table, round table. And that was the top of the volcano that collapsed to form this collapsed crater. Anyway, we went over there and up onto it. We were allowed to go. We had uh, rangers from the conservation people with us. And we all drove up there together. And on top of Inkatati Hill, we looked out across the entire Garden of Eden. And we realized a tree or 
two trees here would be visible from anywhere in the garden. There would be no excuse for saying, I went up on that hill, I didn't realize it was the hill where the two trees were that I shouldn't eat of the fruit. Mm. There was no way that a person could miss, and there were two places here. On that Engatati hill, it was a river between them, or like a, a stream between them, that is dried up at the moment. But these areas were where you could have had two trees. And around the rim of Engatati Hill, like a friar's haircut, were fig trees just growing out of it. I mean, they've been doing it for thousands of years, I guess. And we stood there, the team and I, and the guards and things, you know, the, the rangers, and we got quiet when we realized we're standing where Adam and Eve stood, where the original sin occurred. We are here. Mm. And everybody just got quiet. Nobody said anything. We just, we just felt the moment. It was an incredible stillness, and we realized we're here. This is where it started. Well, Stan, isn't it true that scientists have discovered the oldest bones known to exist there? Doesn't science put the beginning of man there? Yeah, right outside the walls of it, about five miles, the place where I visited, actually, is where they found the bones of Omo man. But whether that is a descendant or a precedent to Adam is, you know, debatable. But Adam was placed out of there. Adam and Eve were taken out of there when they sent in in the Omo Valley, about 120 miles toward the Great East African Rift. That's where the, the major civilization was, but even the oldest man thing was just five miles outside the crater on the western side toward the Serengeti. Modern science has also traced the genome for your mitochondrial Eve. They have traced that from all the population they've tested on the planet coming from one place, one place 120 miles outside the Garden of Eden there in North Africa. That's where all the gene structures came from for the mitochondrial DNA. So that's got to tell you something. Science to prove it. Stan, I want to read a verse and have you comment on it. In Ezekiel twenty-eight fourteen, we read, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, Stan, how does that verse, which is speaking about Satan, help to confirm the location of Eden being there in Nagora Nagora in Tanzania? Okay, I told you a while ago there were like 50-some-odd volcanic activities in the area of the Ngoro Plateau. Mm-hmm. Some are still active today. One that has been active forever and ever, as far as they can remember, at the north end of the, the Ngoro Plateau is called the Mountain of God in the local language, Old Doinyo. Wow. And they say, of course, that that, garden, that that volcano has been there guarding the garden forever and ever. Okay, if God spoke to Satan there on the Mountain of God about the, the hot stones of Eden, well, let me think, 50 volcanoes around, surrounding and forming part of you know, the Garden of Eden, would that be the hot stones of Eden? You see what I'm saying? It could be, yes. And the locals say, this is the Mountain of God, Old Doino. So it's a different kind of volcano. It's the only one that's kind of in the planet, actually. And it's a lower temperature volcano than the ones in Hawaii and stuff like that, put that red magma out. The, the eruptions from here are low-key and form a silvery, cool substance, and then that fall, you know, breaks down in rain and flows down to make Lake Natron. It's got the ingredients of... The Egyptians used to use this stuff to embalm people with it, but you can also make Alka-Seltzer out of it, sodium bicarbonate. Uh, I thought it was God's joke on, man, things are going to be so tough, I'll make Alka-Seltzer for you coming down from this mountain. But anyway, <laughs> it is there, and it is still in eruption, and the locals say this is where it happened. Uh, you know, all the tribes that we spoke to said, you know, God came down into the Goro crater, and he made man there, and then he left and went up into the heavens, and we have what we have today. Now, there are other things to address here as far as a pre-existence. Were there like cavemen and that kind of junk that weren't really spirit-filled creatures made 
my God. And that would be some of those Neanderthal or you know, weird-looking things that we find skeletons of. The first thing in first verse there in Genesis says, and the earth had become waste and void. So it was a, a previous existence before that they worked. Maybe that's where Satan did his original sin against God or turned against him there and that, and everything was wiped out and then started over for this judgment. I don't know. But it opens the mind to a lot of possibilities, doesn't it? Stan, some would say, so what? Why should we care about Eden today? And you answer that objection in your presentation. In your presentation on Eden, you list 10 reasons as to why Eden is important. Now, we don't have time to go through each of those, but would you give us a few of those reasons? Why is Eden important to us today? Well, first of all, the primary thing is to prove the authenticity, the absolute authenticity of the Bible. What it says there in Genesis is correct, is trustworthy. And that then says God is trustworthy. You know, this is not a lie. And to me, it was important to give that information to people who are searching for truth of our existence, where we're going, what the deal is. So you had to prove first that the Bible was reliable, the reliable document for the history of that time. That was the primary one. There were other reasons. People could actually go to where the Garden of Eden was and walk around and and strengthen their faith to say, look, this is where it all happened. And I felt that. So did our members on that Engatati Hill. I mean, you, you feel it. It's just, wow. It strengthens faith. And I think that is the two most important reasons. It helps us to identify the author of the Eden account. It gives us a better understanding of the way the world was settled after the flood and why that survived the flood, that Garden of Eden. It also led to the discovery that not all of the high peaks of the entire planet were submerged, but most of them in the Middle East were. We looked at some of the oh, Catholic legends in the Dark Ages, and they said that the Garden of Eden had to be a high place, high hill somewhere, because it wasn't destroyed by the flood. And I thought, well, a number of Spanish explorers, including Columbus, wanted to go to the new land, or, you know, to Central and South America, to see if they could find the Garden of Eden raised up in a high place. They even looked. So that's how strong that legend was at the time from the Catholic scholars. But it does turn out that it is in a high place, but not in Central America, but in North Africa. What a wonderful place. Stan, I found it fascinating how you explained how dinosaurs were able to support their own weight and why they could not do the same today. Would you share that insight? I did say that when I was originally doing this lecture, but I've had to rethink about this. The Earth uh, was smaller, and you know, I assumed at that point in time, okay, well, being smaller like that, gravity would have been weaker, but it wasn't. It increases the problem with the dinosaur legs and their muscles because when we got smaller like that, gravity increased by 60% because uh-huh. the Earth was spinning faster. And so I correct what I said there because in later exploration and examination of the physics of it, the days were shorter, like we had a 19-hour day because the Earth was spinning that fast, and the gravity was stronger. So why can the dinosaurs walk around? Well, they had to have thick legs and muscles to even walk like that in normal times. So maybe they were stronger than our analyses of their bone structures at this point in time tell us. I don't know. Stan, on your website, you have pictures of Nagora, Nagora. It's a beautiful place. If someone wanted to look at those pictures or if someone wanted to get in contact with you, maybe they wanted you to speak at their church or event, how can people contact you? We have a website that Holly updates six days a week. It's called standeo.com. S-T-A-N-D-E-Y-O.com. At the very bottom of that is our email addresses for both of us. And at the top of the page, when you get there, there's a thing that says Show Images. It's underneath the YouTube symbol. And you can click on that and go to the part of the website that I update once a week. It's Show Images where I talk about various things. But 
the latter half of that page is always there when it shows our trip to the Garden of Eden and scenes from within the garden and things that we saw that you should see in some short video clips. I think we have some video clips that we're going to put up onto Rumble or YouTube of what we did there because you'll kind of get more of the feeling when we do it that way. It's a fascinating place and time. On that show images page, the slides are numbered. If you go down to slide 32, you get to see the Garden of Eden pictures from it. And we have one video in that sub-channel at slide 50. It says, Welcome to the Garden of Eden. There's this yellow bird that landed on the top of our vehicle and started singing to us as we were there, saying it's a really nice song, which is recorded there. You can see that on slide 50 of the slide 32's sub-images. And then there's more on Atlantis, the Garden of Eden, and various things you can click on there and see about the Middle East and about the ancient history of the area. Stan, thank you for your time, and thanks for an excellent conversation. I hope you'll come back and share with us sometime in the future. Sure, James. Appreciate it. The complete two-day conversation from Stan Deo on the quest for Eden is available on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Few people can thrill a crowd like author and researcher Stan Deo. Today, we have Stan's DVD, Quest for Eden. In this DVD, Stan Deo shares two different presentations, one on his search for the location of the Garden of Eden, and the second explores the connection between Solomon and the rebuilding of the Jewish temple. Quest for Eden DVD is available to order today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online swrc.com. That's swrc.com. These two studies are outstanding as Stan takes us to the ends of the earth in search for the elusive Garden of Eden. And, as a bonus, included on the DVD is a special interview Derek Gilbert conducted with Stan Deo. Order Quest for Eden when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Be sure and ask how you can receive free shipping on your order. 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online swrc.com. Now, let's take a moment together and listen to today's Creation Minute with author and scholar Dr. Carl Baugh. Let's talk a minute. At the Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas, we have an artifact. It's a hammer. It's a metal hammer. It is 96.6% iron, 0.74% sulfur, and 2.6% chlorine. Now, that's amazing because our physicist and chemist cannot compound chlorine with metallic lattice iron. Yet here it is. Whoever made this was superior to our scientist of today. This was found in central Texas by Frank and Emma Hahn near the little town of London, Texas, and it is partially colified in the handle. And it is apparently an artifact from the world before the flood when man was smarter than we are today. Another one of our friends here at Watchmen on the Wall is author Larry Stamm. 
Not only did Larry write the text for this year's prophecy calendar, he also is the host of Messianic Minute, a quick look at Jesus Christ through the lens of Scripture. Here is Larry Stamm. Shalom, friends. Larry Stamm here with the Messianic Minute, Biblical Connections Through a Jewish Lens. Old Testament priests were chosen by God, not self-appointed, and they were chosen for a purpose, to serve God with their lives by offering up sacrifices. In Numbers 18:7, God says to Aaron, I will give your priesthood to you as a gift of service. 1 Peter 2.5 declares believers in Jesus a royal priesthood chosen to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Although the Old Testament priesthood demanded much, the priests were to view their responsibilities as a gift. As the church, a royal priesthood, may we also do the same. Lord, help us, your people, to be good stewards of our service to you, a gift of service. For more connections, visit our website at LarryStam.org or see our Larry Stam Ministries Facebook page. Before we go today, I want to say thank you to everyone who has become a faithful friend in the last few weeks. Faithful friends are folks who have come alongside Watchmen on the Wall and are supporting the ministry on a monthly recurring basis. If we could receive gifts from all of our listeners monthly, everyone participating, everyone giving something, it would help our outreach immensely. Now, we're not asking for one person to supply the needs of the ministry completely, but rather we're asking for everyone to be a team of givers. So would you please consider becoming a faithful friend, a monthly supporter? We have thank you gifts for everyone who becomes a faithful friend. From complimentary subscriptions to the Prophetic Observer Newsletter to full access to FaithNet TV, our online streaming service. Become a faithful friend today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can sign up and become a faithful friend at our website, swrc.com. That's swrc. And thank you, thank you for becoming a faithful friend of Watchmen on the Wall. We appreciate your support and your prayers for this listener-funded ministry. Remember, God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. My friends, would you please take a few moments today and check out the resources over at our website, swrc.com. Over 900 books and DVDs available for you, your family, church, or as a gift. Some of the top teachers featured on swrc.com include Billy Crone, Jonathan Kahn, J.R. Church, David Weber, Michael Hoggard, and many, many more. Remember that when you purchase one of our resources, you are supporting the ministry and outreach of Watchmen on the Wall. So please visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Tomorrow, our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, looks at what's wrong with Calvinism. And we'll begin a discussion on origins as found 
in the book of Genesis. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by simply subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Please visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com.